What's going on, everybody, and welcome into this edition of Be Shafe Daily. I'm Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Monday, June 12th, 2023. And I don't even know what there is left to say at this point. <laughs> I really don't. When it comes to the St. Louis Cardinals, guys, I was driving home from this game. Cardinals lose. Series opener against the Giants, 4-3. to We'll talk about the lack of timely hitting. We'll talk about the bullpen not able to hold a lead. But we've done this show before. Am I mistaken or have we done this exact show before? Probably five to ten times this season. And then maybe five to ten of the other shows we've done. It maybe wasn't the bullpen that blew it, but the starters didn't give him a chance to win. And then another handful, it was just the offense. And again, I mean... It, it's always something, isn't it, this year? Hey, sometimes it's the defense. It really wasn't the case tonight. Can't think of anything off the top of my head defensively that stood out in a negative way. I just, I mean, this is where things are right now for the St. Louis Cardinals. But, hey, you're here anyway listening, and so uh, that is very meaningful to me. So thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of B-Shafe Daily. Make sure you're following the podcast on Spotify. Go ahead and rate and review us as well. Drop those five stars for us if you think we're five-star quality. Uh, Hopefully you think uh, more of the podcast than you do the performance of the St. Louis Cardinals at this point in time. Because, uh, yeah, well, they're 13 games now below 500. The season worst for the Cardinals, by the way. If you recall that flashpoint that we've uh, often pointed back to, to talk about, yeah, how bad it was back when it was really bad, but now it's just kind of bad, right? Well, no, not really right, because... The Cardinals were 10 and 24. They're 14 games below 500. And that's the worst that it was, I'm pretty sure. Well, now they're 27 and 40, 13 games below 500. That's not too different. Doing some quick math, that would mean the Cardinals have since just gone 17 and 16 since the low point of the season. They're basically at a 500 pace if they lose on Tuesday, which would it surprise anybody to see that at this point? They'd be right back where they were when it was as bad as it was, right? 10 and 24, 14 games below. I think 10 games out is maybe the max 10, 10 and a half, something like that, that they've been in the division. Right now they're eight and a half. I guess Pittsburgh must have been idle. Either that or they haven't finished up. Yeah, no game today for the Pirates. They'll start a series tomorrow against the Chicago Cubs. But yeah, the Cardinals are on the verge of being right back down to the the low watermark of the season, 14 games below should a loss come to them on Tuesday. But thank you guys for being here, for following on Spotify. Check us out on Apple Podcasts as well if you're an iPhone user. Another way to listen to the show. And YouTube, I'm going to keep stumping for YouTube because something amazing happened today. After weeks and weeks and weeks of trying, it was finally approved. The uh, Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel was finally approved with a Google AdSense account, which for those who are involved in the YouTube world, That's how you'd get paid if you were to be able to join the YouTube partner program. Haven't been reviewed and approved for that yet, but that's the final step. And if it should come, then we can start to do a lot of cool different things that they just allow you uh, to, to have associated with your channel, whether it's super chats during live streams or whatever the case might be. Um, I thought about going live tonight. I got a few questions from you guys on Twitter. Hey, you doing a live? And I thought I genuinely have to look out for my mental health. I don't think I have it in me tonight to go an hour 45 and I know all the questions are going to be, hey, why haven't they fired Ollie Marmel yet? And I'll just go ahead and address that, I guess, on a daily basis at this point, just because I know it's on your minds, and it gets really tricky for me because I still don't believe that's what this team needs, but I am not the ostrich. I think it's ostriches that put their heads in the sand. I'm not sitting here with my heads in the sand, Cardinal fans. I see what's going on as well, just the same as you do, and there are major, major problems right now with this team. But as I open the show by saying, I don't know what there is left to say. And you may use this as a mark against Dolly Marmel, but tonight neither did he. His postgame lasted about the length of a commercial break in the in the Rob Manfred era, just a couple of minutes before I think it was John Denton asked him the last question of, you know, how frustrating is it that these are, uh, you couldn't hold the lead or it's a one-run loss, whatever the question was. And uh, is, is that extra frustrating? And all he said, yes. And he looked around the room, and everybody kind of go, yeah, okay. And he said, all right, see ya. About two minutes flat, maybe a little more, two minutes and 10 seconds or so. So not a lot to say. And for those who are like, 
not familiar or don't usually go to Bally Sports on Twitter to watch what he says after the game, which a lot of times that full press conference doesn't necessarily get posted. Yesterday's, I think, was like over five minutes, and that still wasn't the whole thing because I was like, oh, there's another uh, question that I had asked that didn't didn't make TV or whatever they decide to post. Uh, I don't even think they posted on Monday the Ollie interview. They did Matthew Libertor. I saw Paul Goldschmidt. We talked to Goldie, and that was up. I don't think they even posted Ollie because there was not a lot to put in there. I did have a couple of questions, though, but it was one of those where everybody's sitting there knowing that there are a couple of uncomfortable things that are going to be discussed, and it's like, who's going to go first here? So I asked Ollie how, what he thought of the bullpen tonight, and I followed up with a question on, and I would have loved a chance to, I say I would have loved a chance to talk to Andre Pallante, but I also know, knowing Andre Pallante and having, you know, had a couple times this year where outings haven't gone his way, if I, I guess he wasn't around still, probably, you know, ducked out, whatever. Again, those guys can get into the clubhouse a lot quicker than we can in terms of uh, proximity, and we're going down elevators and things like that. But I thought walking down, I'd like to see what Andre Pallante thinks. But I would imagine if we had talked to him, which I don't know if anybody did. I was kind of looking around for him, didn't see him, and eventually just decided to go home. But if anybody had gotten a chance to chat with Pallante, I can tell you it just would have been probably major contrition on his part to say, I can't walk Wilmer Flores in a two-strike count in that situation the way that I did tonight. Walks come back to hurt the Cardinals time and time again. We talked about it in the game on Sunday. Ellie De La Cruz, couple of walks, scores twice, and the Cardinals lose that game. I think it was 4-3 to three, uh, yesterday as well. Walks kill this team because they're a pitch-to-contact staff and you don't have the ability to shift quite the way that you used to, although tonight they still did shift in the seventh inning where Palante was in the game and just a, a poked base hit to the right side, and then one poked, I mean, the, the entire right side of the infield was open, and then one poked down the right field line that Goldschmidt could not quite glove uh, between himself and the, and the baseline, and that ends up leading to a run there in the seventh inning against Palante, and then in the eighth inning, Chris Stratton, comes into the game and faces an 11-pitch at bat against Patrick Bailey, I think it's the guy's name, and just keeps fouling him off, fouling him off, fouling him off, eventually doubles into the left center field gap. It wasn't like a super hard-hit ball, but it was just placed in a very easy spot to allow him to get to. And Brandon Crawford bloops a single to left field to give the Giants a lead in the eighth inning, and that's how the Cardinals give up a 3-2 to lead that they held thanks to a solid outing by Matthew Libertor, who went six innings in this game. Uh, they got home runs from both Pauls, DeYoung, and then Goldschmidt to earn those three runs. And I also knew if I did a live tonight, there would be Cardinals fans going, see, I told you all they can do is score off the homer. And it's like, all right, I acknowledge that that's the way it's going, and it's not good. And I, I give you this, the Giants put together an absolute clinic when it comes to timely hitting. Because in the seventh and eighth inning, they didn't hit any balls hard. They didn't do anything supernatural to a baseball. That, But you know what? They they put the ball in the right spot in the right time, knowing where the defense was, where the defense wasn't. I don't know how much you can actually consider that the skill of, yep, they meant to do that. That's where they wanted those balls. But I, I tend to give credit because I look at the way they approached it and I look at the way the Cardinals approached their situations with runners in scoring position. And tonight there weren't many of them. Logan Webb did a nice job, uh, save for two pitches. Both of the pitches on which he gave homers up were sliders with two strikes, and they were terrible pitches. I mean, Paul DeYoung, I have always talked on this podcast about how Paul DeYoung is one of the guys in Major League Baseball who may he might be the, the type of guy that hits a mistake pitch as well as anybody in the league. I'm talking about I'll put Paul DeYoung up against anyone when it comes to if dude's going to put a meatball in front of you, He's gobbling that thing up. He's always been that way, and that's and like that's a credit to him. It's how he's come up with those 20, 25 home run seasons, whatever he did at his apex of his career. Like That's what Paul DeYoung does as well as anybody. And, yep, don't throw him a slider 83 over the middle of the plate that just sits there. Logan Webb, I, the, the break on that had to be like an inch. I, I, was, I, said, I tweeted this out. I said, watching the replay, that might be, I think it is, the worst – 0-2 pitch thrown in MLB this season. Couldn't believe it. And then he throws another slider and a two-strike count to Paul Goldschmidt, and this one was just a total backup slider, and so it was at least like on the inside part of the plate, but Goldschmidt is just sitting there going, oh, that's at 82? 
watch this. Like, home run to left. Two terrible pitches by Logan Webb. But otherwise, had a very nice night. Cardinals couldn't do anything against him. And so only three opportunities tonight with runners in scoring position for the Cardinals. Of course, they didn't get a hit in any of them. You have the uh, the Arenado situation that feels like a pretty substantial one given the fact that this team is only going to go as far as its best players are going to take them. And you get that spot, and I believe it was the eighth inning where Arenado pops up on the infield after they get first and third one out. And you're thinking, you've got to be able to get that guy home. 90 feet away, Brendan Donovan is just putting the team on his back consistently. I think twice, or pardon me, over the last two days, he has had four occasions that I have counted, and I may have missed one, but Brendan Donovan has let off a given inning with, with a base hit four times in two days. I think he scored once, and it was today when Goldschmidt homered. Other than that, it's like they're not coming through in these situations. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And I got a tweet from somebody tonight that said, we've got to be the worst team in MLB with runners in scoring position this season. And what is crazy is the Cardinals aren't the worst. In fact, they're 15th in MLB in average with risk. It's at 253. I checked tonight. The reason I know that is because about a week ago, they were like 7th or 8th in the league, talking about all of Major League Baseball. And I was like, well, that ranks pretty highly. OPS, they were second in baseball in OPS with runners in scoring position. Now I think they're down to like fifth or so, but they're still ranking rather highly in, in that category. And even in batting average, which like you compare batting average to OPS, okay, they're doing damage when they are getting a hit. It seems like it's a damaging one because the OPS is high or they're taking walks or whatever, which walks don't always or, or hit by pitch as, as happened once tonight. Those don't always result in runs being scored, even if it happens with runners in scoring position. So OPS, not as good of an indicator of did you just come through or did you not. Batting average would be that indicator about as best as you can come up with. And they're 15th in MLB out of 30 teams this season. But they've been putrid of late. What were they, 2 for 22 over the weekend, and now they're 0 for 3, so 2 for 25. I mean, this again, this goes back. They played the Reds at Great American. They went to Cleveland and they didn't do very well at it. They came back home and they didn't do very well. I mean, this has been the, the Royals series happened in a two gamers where they didn't really do much. They went to Pittsburgh, didn't really do much. I mean, this has been going on for multiple weeks at this point. And I still say that the 15th out of 30 in MLB is not a very good indicator when you recognize that there have been several games where they score 16 or 18. They did once where all they're doing is hitting with runners in scoring position. And that doesn't really, it's great if you if you go 10 for 19 that day with RISP, that's awesome, but it's not a, a very good barometer for like what you are as a team on the season. There's going to be more of a weight put on those at-bats in those games for your season-long batting average than there, than there ought to be because, again, night like tonight, you only had three total opportunities in the game, but it impacted one entire loss on the schedule that you didn't come through in any of those three. And when Tommy Edmond stole second base in the ninth, I said the unforeseen consequence of that is now he's in scoring position. So you know they're not going to be able to get a hit. I mean, if it if it weren't so sad, it would be kind of funny. But at this point, it's just it's just what it's been. It's not any different. Tonight we'll talk about the bullpen situation specifically, and I want to get into sort of an anecdote about what was going through my mind and covering this team and the way things are going. Like, these guys are really struggling as a team, and a lot of people want to say it's Ollie Marmel. You know, how could he take Matthew Libertor out after 86 pitches? Why did he do that? Well, he, he did answer that in the very brief postgame that he had. Talked about the fact that the lineup was turning back over to right-handed hitters, and we all, we all know that throughout the course of a season, you face that lineup an extra time. The way the modern view of the game is, is that it's potentially going to end up costing you, and Libby had 
had given up some hits, but I really had settled down nicely after the third inning. The third inning, you had an overturned challenge that benefits the Giants. Paul DeYoung made a nice throw, but couldn't quite get, get the guy out on an infield hit. They called him out originally. He was safe. They quickly re- reversed that call. And then I think it was a hit batter, and you had a wild pitch thrown in there as well. And then, you know, some weak contact that gets those runs in. That is what has happened to the Cardinals all season long. And Cardinals fans are tired of hearing about the soft contact thing. But it is, I think, like a a flaw of the way this team is built that that's going to continue to be a storyline because they are not as elite defensively as they've been the past two years. And that's partly due to just lesser performance by some of the key players. An example is Arenado. If you look at his defensive stats, there's a minus in front of a lot of them this season. That's never happened before in the course of his decade-long MLB career. He's won a gold glove every single year he's played the the position of third base at the big league level. Might not win it this year. I, I don't know. But I do know that if you look at the metrics, whether you buy him, whether you don't, he's got a minus in front of a lot of his numbers. Defensive runs saved or different you know valuations of his defense. It's not an overwhelming plus like it always has been. It's a minus. So there's some of that going on. You also have guys playing out of position, like Tommy Edmond doing an admirable job in center field, but he's not a center fielder for his whole career, right? Like this is an unusual thing that he's he's being asked to do, and I think he's doing a good job with it, and I think he is a plus center fielder. I don't think his arm is plus in center field, but I think generally his range and his instincts are really good. You know, Dylan Carlson playing right field, I, I'd still have Dylan in center. I would. There's not, you know, you know I'm probably not going to change my mind about that, but I can also see this angle. They've got Tommy Edmond in center because what can he do maybe a little bit better than Dylan? I think Dylan's instincts are, are tops in the organization in center field, but Tommy's instincts are good and his speed is is better. Tommy is kind of playing the center field position the way that the Cardinals thought or hoped or wanted to try and instill in Tyler O'Neill to be able to do. Because I said, well, your, your speed is such that if you could just have these instincts and, and get the repetitions to develop them, then you'll be a, a really positive plus for us in center field. Well, he couldn't do it. And Tommy Edmond, I think, has some of that speed to him that that beats out Dylan Carlson in a foot race, perhaps. And so he's able to maybe cover a little bit more ground because the guy that you have in left field generally these days is Jordan Walker, who needs to be in your lineup, continues to, to my eye, take some pretty good at-bats, but he's not an outfielder. And the Cardinals only asked him 10 months ago to try and become one, and his bat was a lot further along than... 10 months out of being an MLB bat. His defense in the outfield is more than that, but that's where they're at. And so you're trying to account for some of that. But Walker, by the way, tonight goes two for four. Cardinals had 10 hits tonight, but somehow only end up with a few scenarios where they take an at-bat with runners in scoring position. They, they leave eight on base in total. A lot of guys not being advanced to uh, that scoring position scenario. 10 hits, two walks, and I think they had a guy reach base via hit-by-pitch as well. Yeah, Brendan Donovan. But I got into talking about the soft contact and how Cardinals fans are tired of hearing about it, but it continues to haunt this team. And that's true, but at the same time, it's not the only thing. and It ends up being a misnomer at times, and I'll explain what I mean by that. By the way, pausing here momentarily because I always am bad about doing this, but what I was getting to get into when I talked about, hey, the YouTube are really hyping this thing up and want to make it something cool for Cardinals fans. Please do subscribe to this YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. Uh, if you're not listening on YouTube right now, there's still a way you can get there. YouTube.com slash at bshafer12. If you are listening on YouTube, super easy to subscribe, like this video, and comment below with your thoughts on what the Cardinals need to do. And listen, if the answer is fire Ali Marmel, then I'll respect that that's your answer, even if it isn't mine. But I want to still hear from you guys and what you have to say. That being said, I'm kind of getting into why... To me, this is bigger than anything Ollie Marmel would be able to fix. And we talk about the soft contact being just a bugaboo of the Cardinals, and it's one of those where, well, it's just bad luck. I, I heard on the KMOX postgame show on the way home, a caller called in and said, you know, they're tired of hearing that, that Chip Carey on the TV broadcast said, maybe tomorrow the Cardinals will be a little more lucky, a little less unlucky in the way some things go. And their Cardinals fans are tired of hearing it because it does kind of come across as an excuse I will say sometimes your broadcaster, your show's over, you're just trying to fill time and, and throw a little optimistic nugget in there. And sometimes you, you might go home and go, ah, I didn't need to say that. That was just kind of a, a time filler. And I get that because I've done it all the time in the radio shows. I've done it on these. And I can pre-record these and delete that part if I really wanted to. And, and Chip Carey does not have the benefit uh, of doing that. 
So don't give Chip such a hard time would be number one. But number two, just hearing that call, I, I recognize that Cardinals fans are tired of hearing what they perceive as excuses about the way things are going for this team. And the narrative surrounding the soft contact, oh, I just had a little soft contact. And I'll even catch myself in the press box. Guy will hit a home run, just a bomb off of Michaelis or somebody, you know, it doesn't even matter who it is. Hit a bomb against the Cardinals. I go, eh, it's just a little soft contact to center. That's all. I forget the other day who homered directly onto Freeze's lawn. And uh, I think it was a Wainwright game. I said, well, it's just a little harmless soft contact to center field. You know, it's easy to be sarcastic about it, right? But soft contact does, I think, in an inordinate amount, burn this Cardinals team relative to what we're used to seeing. And I've I talked a little bit about the defensive reasons for that. You've got guys playing out of position, guys that are in their position but aren't playing as well as they normally do, lacking the consistency, whether it's because they're putting too much pressure on themselves, they're they're trying to make everything happen at once, they're overthinking, whatever the case might be. I think there's a little bit of all that going on perhaps with Arenado. But then you've got guys like Walker who need to be in the lineup, but they don't have a position. And the way the roster is constructed, the way the roster is constructed – I go back to that time and time again and say, this is a roster construction issue. And the guy that built the roster, I did some digging around. I don't think he has done a scrum like a uh, a powwow with the local media since mid-April, from what I could gather. Now, he's talked to different outlets. He's talked to The Athletic. He's talked to the Post-Dispatch. He's, you know, different outlet, outlets have had Q&As with him that you may have read. But that's, I'm just saying that's unusual for what you would see during a season. It was almost like clockwork in past years that you'd at least see John Mazalak or Mike Gersh first day of every homestand to kind of get a, a state of the way things are going. Not since mid-April, all right? That's about two months to the day since the last one. And I could be wrong about that. But again, I had to ask around for what other people had perceived because I'm not at all of the, the pregames on the, uh, the homestands because of the radio show that I do on weekdays. I just, you know, I'm not at those and so... Um, don't want to put it out there like acting like I am when I know that I'm not. But I'll tell you what it, what I what I do and what I don't do. But my point is, when a lot of the heat is going on Ollie Marmel, I'm looking at John Mozeliak, the guy that built the roster, and saying, yeah, it kind of is what it is. You know, I talked about how Ollie felt there wasn't much to say tonight because it was a pretty short session with him. Maybe John Mozeliak feels the same way. Not much to say. But I think there would be some th- some things that we would certainly get asked of him. And I think at this point, they're still in that wait and see, that holding pattern, as he's talked about in some of the, the one-on-one interviews that he's given. They're, I don't think they're at this point where they're going to give Cardinals fans this, this blow it up that Cardinals fans would like to see. And it always does seem to circle back in those conversations to Ollie Marmel. But I look at the way the roster is built. And the fact that you've got guys playing out of position, that you've got guys in spots where there's really no other obvious answer for what to do with them because you've got a few guys that you need to play at DH. And it's just, you've got like Nolan Gorman, for example, DH a lot of the times. You could put him in the field, but you've got other guys that you would want to play at second base. Brendan Donovan does a nice job, made a really nice tag at second base in the game tonight on a uh, caught stealing attempt early in the game. Like, he does a phenomenal job at second base. He does a nice job wherever he is on the field. And for me, he's taken some of the better at-bats on the team right now. I know Dylan Carlson, I think, came up empty at the plate tonight with an over. But to me, taking some of the better at-bats still on this team right now, uh, Wilson Contreras isn't. He's in 201 for the season now. Gorman had a hit today, but three more strikeouts. Has really kind of been hit or miss recently. Paul DeYoung finally getting back on the board. A couple of hits tonight, one of them being the home run. And I got a couple of tweets from somebody talking about he shouldn't have ever gone to the hockey puck bat knob because without it, he was good or he, he shouldn't have. Whatever he was doing, it's, it, he went back to it tonight after getting away from it and maybe had some success. I have no idea the veracity of that because I didn't look into it that much. But there's a little nugget for you. Edmund. He's seven for his last 60. Had a walk tonight, and I I think Tommy Edmonds one of the, the team's better players, but the numbers are the numbers right now, and you've got a lot of guys struggling. You've got a lot of things going on offensively, as we've talked about, defensively, but the, the aspect of the defense that I want to get into and how it pertains to the soft contact issue is when you have all those things going on defensively and you know that the shift is not going to be an element of your game and the pitchers are squeezed a little bit more for time and for picking out that perfect pitch because you've got the pitch clock to deal with. 
and you never have previous to this season. All those things are going on, and you have basically as much of a pitch-to-contact pitching staff as anybody in baseball to go into a season like this one and assume that all of those things aren't going to stack up against you and that everything's going to end up being fine with your pitching as a result, I think is extremely short-sighted. And that's where the Cardinals found themselves this season. And so John Mozeliak did that. Ollie Marmel did not do that. Now, the good news is the starting rotation is actually starting to come around. Libertor did a nice job today. We have seen Steven Matz out of the bullpen do a pretty solid job. He had a scoreless inning tonight, but it was after the Cardinals already had lost the lead. Where the Cardinals went to tonight, though, out of the bullpen is the next thing that I want to get into. Because you get six innings out of Libertor. He was at 86 pitches. Again, you could make a case that he should have gone back out there. I was sitting in the press box going, and I said this out loud to John Denton next to me. I said, I don't think this bullpen has three scoreless innings in it tonight. I don't. And so that was a reason that I would have said, yeah, maybe you go with Libertor. But hear, hear what I'm saying and don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't think the decision to cut Libertor off after six innings is why the Cardinals lost tonight. Cardinals fans would look at it and say, that's it. I, I'll tell you what I got. I got one single tweet from somebody who I'd already talked about the day Montgomery was pulled after six innings and 97 pitches. I had talked to this guy on Twitter, and he was upset about the fact that they didn't let Monty go another inning. I said, listen, he was about 100 pitches. I talked about it on this podcast, and I said, Look, the situation was I asked Monty about it, and he said, yeah, I'm over 100 pitches at that point, so I get it. I understand why I was pulled. And we talked about, well, he wasn't even over 100 pitches, but he felt like he was, which is maybe answer enough to say, yeah, might have been the right decision, right? This case for Libby, he gave the answer of, I'm going to, and this is what you got to kind of do as a young player. You don't want to make waves for anything you say in the postgame about they should have left me out there. But he he always gives this same answer. I'm I want the ball until they take it out of my hand. And if that's 86 pitches or 120 pitches, I still want the ball. And so he gives a pretty canned answer at the same time every time. And that's kind of what he said tonight. There's no surprise about that. But that's nothing inflammatory. That's just the way he approaches that question, which, again, I think is pretty boilerplate and standard, especially for a young player. You don't you don't have any color to add to that situation. Nothing you, you say can be to your benefit really there. So uh, you just you just give that pretty standard answer, and I thought that was good. Marmel talks about the lineup turning back over with right-handed batters. They went very right-handed heavy against Libertor, understandably so. And so that leads into the decision of why they move him, or remove him, I should say, after six. But here's where and why I felt maybe they don't have three scoreless innings in this bullpen tonight. Ryan Helsley went on the injured list earlier Monday afternoon. Helsley was not available all weekend. It turns out we didn't really know it at the time, but we did in the press box, uh, Jeff Jones was the first to notice it after Sunday's game. Kind of go, did anybody see Ryan Helsley pick up a baseball this weekend? We're like, no, I, I guess not. Well, lo and behold, good hunch because uh, he goes on the injured list with a right forearm strain. And as we know, that's a little precarious because everything's connected in the arm. The forearm's connected to the elbow. The elbow is what could cost you 12 months. So like, there is a, there's got to be at least a little bit of concern. Anytime you hear forearm strain for a pitcher, what could potentially be coming next if a little bit of rest and, and strengthening doesn't solve it, there's always a possibility down the road. Not nearly to that point yet with Ryan Helsley, but that's kind of what you brace for anytime you hear arm trouble. That would be a real blow if the Cardinals don't get him back and, and at his best strength. But they're going to just no-throw him for about a week probably He'll resume some baseball activities, and they'll go from there and see if the discomfort, the pain, whatever, subsides. But without Ryan Helsley in that bullpen, what we saw tonight from the Cardinals was Andre Pallante in the seventh inning and Chris Stratton in the eighth inning in what you would consider a leveraged situation. It was a one-run lead when it was Pallante, and then with Stratton, it was a tie game in the eighth inning. And it took one injury to the Cardinals' bullpen to have the situation become Palante is your seventh inning guy and Chris Stratton is your go-to guy in the eighth inning for today's game in a tie game at that point. And I thought that's the tweet I want to send out right now. Instead, I just, I noted it for history and said, Chris Stratton coming on to pitch the eighth inning in a tie game. And then I retweeted a few minutes later and said, the game is no longer tied. It's frustrating and I knew what would happen as well. I mentioned that there was only one tweet that I got 
after Libertor was pulled and before the Palante inning began, talking about, okay, see, this is it again. Are they pulling the starter too early? And I went back and forth with that guy, and I said, yeah, you know, I think that you got a valid point here, and it's going to be something Ollie gets asked about for sure. Because 86 pitches is different than 97. It is a younger player in this instance, not a veteran, and so how do you weigh that out? But the Cardinals are depleted in their bullpen. Again, it's only really one injury that's that's taken place, but it's a big one. Ryan Helsley is a guy that you lean on, and they've they've basically been pitching short going back to the last few days because he hasn't pitched since Wednesday the 7th of June, and you had a whole weekend series where, lo and behold, he wasn't available because with those situations, you try to say, all right, maybe another day, maybe another day, and eventually you got to call it, and you say, all right, He's on the injured list, and we'll see, and we'll go from there. Hopefully, it remains that minor, and it, you know, at one point was close enough that they didn't right away say, oh, he's got to go to the IL, but you got to feel these situations out, and and ultimately, that's what they decided to do. Jake Woodford gets recalled. Jake Woodford is not necessarily a guy you're throwing right into the fire into a leverage situation in that spot. You say, well, wh- wh- where was Jordan Hicks? Well, Jordan Hicks, uh, they tried that on Sunday, and he walked the first batter that he faced in the appearance for the seventh time on the season, Tied for the second most in the league. He's got to figure out the first batter jitters. It's been a problem for Jordan Hicks all season long. It just has. It's not any narrative being formed. It's just the numbers. And at t- at times earlier, he said his focus maybe wasn't good enough. And then he seemed to sort of kind of fix it. But now we're kind of back in that spot again, wondering what's going to happen the, the immediate first batter Jordan Hicks sees when he comes into a game. So was he a better option after pitching yesterday and it not going so well? Who knows? Probably not. There is a case to be made, though, for kind of the right-handed heavy portion of the Giants lineup. That's where Palante was in. And then by the time he gives up some base runners and then Stratton gets the eighth inning, the splits almost would make more sense to do that in the opposite direction because Palante, as a righty, has better splits historically facing left-handed batters. Stratton would be the inverse of that. But I think what happens a little bit there is you say, you know, Plante is our, our guy for the seventh, and that's what we trust in. And Plante's pitched pretty well, by and large. Like, I don't know his ERA. I, I guess I could check it. I've got the box score up after all. But his ERA this season's 4.38, which was got a, a bump in the wrong direction after tonight. But he was around four, I think, before this game. And Chris Stratton was about 3.75, and now he's 3.93 because they both pitched an inning and gave up a run. And those numbers aren't amazing. Those don't jump off the page at you. But it's not like I I see a lot of Cardinals fans saying like, oh, DFA, get rid of, you know. Those are the kinds of sentiment that I see after a game like this. And I get it. People are frustrated and people are upset. Here's the issue, though. And it goes back to why I said I don't think this team has three scoreless inning in the bullpen tonight. One injury to Ryan Helsley, one injury to your bullpen, makes Palante your seventh and Stratton your eighth inning guy. All right? If those guys are your middle relief go-to guys, Palante can do it against lefties a lot of times because he's got reverse splits, Stratton against righties, and it's like middle relief, maybe lower leverage situations, then I think you've got a pretty solid bullpen. But today was as leverage as leverage gets because the Cardinals are really desperate for a win, and those are the guys that they felt they had to throw out there. The instinct that Cardinals fans have is to say that's an example of why Ollie Marmel was terrible. His bullpen management sucks. I would say his bullpen is his bullpen, and the players that are in it are going to have to pitch. He's got who he's got. The guys that are available are the guys that are available. And like I said, I wanted to tweet this out and say one injury makes Chris Stratton your eighth inning guy because I know if I'd have tweeted that, people would have, you know, I don't know what direction they would have taken it. But I also remembered, like, It's not fair to Chris Stratton for me to tweet that out. So I didn't. This is what I was going to get into when I was talking about anecdote covering the team, kind of the thought process that I have sometimes. Chris Stratton's gone out there and honestly done a pretty solid job for this team this year. 3.93 ERA. He's not the best guy in their bullpen, and he doesn't really have great swing and miss stuff. And that bit him a little bit in this outing tonight. The at-bat against Bailey, 11 pitches, just couldn't put him away. And I thought, all right, you can just tweet that out. That's the easy kind of lowest common denominator. That's the easy low-hanging fruit. If you want to send out a tweet and be inflammatory, Brendan, that, that's what you could do. I said, nope, it's not fair to Chris Stratton. What I'm going to do instead is find him in the clubhouse and talk to him. 
And so that's what I did. And so I'll play the audio from the the few questions I asked Chris Stratton, and you'll hear my voice very muted because there were not very many people in the clubhouse at that point. And just, but I, I, you know, I thought coming down, I had said I wanted to talk to Palante. What he would have done is say, I can't walk that guy. That's, that's a terrible situation to put my team into. I know that I'm a guy that needs the ground ball to get out of situations. That's my strength. And I get two ground balls, but the problem was there was a walk that led, that led into the situation that allowed a run to score in the seventh. Like I said, Palante was not around post game to where I was able to see him and talk to him. I imagine that's what he would have said. I don't want to put words into his mouth. But again, he's a guy who takes accountability. He takes responsibility for when he does things wrong. And he's the kind of fiery competitor that he doesn't want to give anybody anything for free. And so I think this is probably what you would have heard from Palante. But I thought it was so interesting to hear from Stratton because he brings up the fact that you don't want to give anybody anything for free. And then it sort of leads to what I kind of perceived, and you'll hear me ask him about it, the Cardinals being a little bit snake bit in the other direction because the soft contact thing, Cardinals fans don't like the excuse of it, but it really is kind of personified as a catch-22 situation right now for this Cardinals pitching staff at times. And especially when you think about the fact that the margin is so slim, the margin for error, it's so slim because of what the offense is doing to the pitching staff. Like, they have pitched relatively well in recent weeks. It's way better than it was in April and the beginning of May, what we've seen the last few weeks. Even if the Cardinals have lost a bunch of games, the pitching, again, they gave up four runs today, which isn't great. You know, you'd like to keep it under four, and the the more games for which you keep it under four, you're going to win a lot of games most of the time if you do that. Four is kind of that standard number where you go, offense, it was up to you to score more than four, and you didn't do it. Pitching staff, ah, could you just given up three, that would have been nice, right? It's just kind of that caught in between number where it's not going to kill you, but you'd love it to be lower than that. But realistically, four is kind of just one of those one of those totals that I, I put the, more of the onus on the offense. Tonight, though, the offense, with just the two home runs that they put up, would have done enough if the bullpen had those scoreless innings in it, and they did not. But I keep going back to this notion of, okay, we want to put this on Ollie Marmel. Ollie Marmel has who he has at his disposal in the bullpen. When you lose Ryan Helsley and you want to hold Gallegos for the safe situation, which maybe that's your answer is, ah, there might not be a safe situation. you got to put him in in the eighth. Okay, that's fine. Or even if you want to put him in the seventh, let's let's go that way because they've at least got a lead at that point. You put him in for the seventh instead of Palante, he gets a scoreless seventh. Okay, now you need Palante or Stratton or, or Genesis Cabrera or Steven Matz or Jake Woodford to get you that that last inning or two. And nobody's going to feel great about that situation either. So I'm telling you, no matter what happened tonight, as long as they lost the game, Cardinals fans are going to find a way to blame Ali Marmel for it. I say he's only operating with the the bullpen that John Moselak has given him. And when you when your depth is such that you have one injury to a key reliever, which again, Ryan Helsley is about as key of a reliever as you could could stand to lose. The Cardinals have been pretty fortunate so far this season in terms of injuries to their bullpen, I would say. Like, you've you've lost some different guys here from time to time, but usually not the main guys. And, and now they've lost the main guy, Ryan Helsley. But the guys that are left behind are the ones that Ali Marmel has at his disposal. And so we talk about, yeah, they could have maybe done it differently. They could have left Libby in longer. That's a possibility. He had a reason for not doing that. Whether you agree or disagree is whatever. Why is it Palante in the seventh instead of so-and-so? Why is it Stratton in the eighth instead of so-and-so? Again, Giants are very righty-heavy, but they did have some lefties coming up in that eighth-inning spot. But I think it's like you had it planned to go Stratton, and then Palante gives it up, and so now are you going to, you know, maybe they would have gone Gallegos for two. I don't I don't really know what who was warming and what was going on at that time. But the bottom line is you've got the bullpen that you've got, and I like I think you can make a case that Cabrera would be one guy if there was a, uh, an ideal spot, and I'd have to go back and look. But if there was an ideal spot where it was going to be a couple lefties, and maybe that's the play you do. And like Steven Matz pitches a, a scoreless ninth, but th- you know there was a really leverage at that point. They were down in the game already, and you've seen this Cardinals team. You probably don't figure they're going to score a run. The game's kind of over already. Even though you're within one run, they've been about as bad as anybody in baseball in one-run games. Only the Padres have been worse. And I've, I've said it enough days that I guess I should check the Padres and make sure they haven't wrapped off a couple of one-run wins because that 
that that statistic won't be that way all season if San Diego starts picking up picking up the pace in those games. But it just does boil down to the bullpen is the bullpen, and the fact that you go Palante Stratton and that you may disagree with it as, with it as a fan, but I only think you disagree with it because after the fact you saw that it didn't work. When Palante had the first two outs of the seventh inning, it was like, oh man, I felt a little foolish for thinking maybe they should have left Libertor in there because this seems to be working out. And then when you walk a guy with two outs, you're asking for trouble, and that's what happened with Andre Palante, and it just kind of got worse from there. But to me, that doesn't mean that Ali Marmel automatically made the wrong decision. And again, I heard from one guy before it went south, and then I heard from probably a dozen others who said, how can you take Libertor out? Where were you guys with that before it went south? If Andre Palante gets Wilmer Flores, I think was the guy you walked, instead of walking him, it's probably a completely different situation. So I don't respect waiting until after to see what happened. I think it's it, it's a worthy conversation either way, but to act like you had all the answers and that it was obvious all you should have known better, you can't do that play an armchair quarterback, Monday morning quarterback, hindsight is twenty twenty game. That doesn't work. I don't I, I just won't accept it. If you want to if you want to tell me in the moment, you go for it. And then we'll we'll play it out and see what happens. And that's legitimate at that point. But what's not legitimate is saying, see, I was right. Automatically that means Ollie was wrong. And you know, again, it's it's a process oriented business for a manager, and the results do matter because you have to stack those results day after day after day. But I but it isn't always the case that a bad result meant the process was wrong or flawed. And even if a process might over time prove to have been off base and not the best process available, it also doesn't mean it was the sole reason the team lost a game. Because again, I think whatever he does with Libertor there, it wasn't like a 90% versus a 10% decision. And it's like, hey, there's a 90% outcome if you pick the right one, Ollie. No, a lot of these are 50-50. And yes, it's the manager's job to pick the, the better ones and to allow the process to lead to a better result more times than not. And it's true that this season, I, I haven't seen it happen. But I also think that statistically, it's still within the range of outcomes that you can go, yep, they're they're just kind of getting screwed. They're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't on a lot of this. Now, you can get into a deeper conversation about, does that make a manager gun-shy with these decisions? I don't think that's in Ollie Marmel's temperament or his personality to to react that way to things not going his way. If anything, he's almost to a fault going to manage to the probabilities and the percentages, which is something that you're going to hear Chris Stratton talk about, actually, when I play this clip. And like, yeah, there's something to be said for having a feel for the game, but I I also believe that if your feel for the game is informed by the math and informed by the probabilities of, of what you expect to happen, then you probably have a pretty good feel for the game. But right now, the Cardinals aren't getting the most out of those situations but my inclination is still to look toward the roster and the guy that built it more than the guy that's just being asked to manage the pieces that simply don't fit together. And I've tried to do a good job of articulating why I believe what I believe about the roster construction. I connected to, okay, they're pitched to contact. That was Marmel didn't build it that way. Marmel's trying to get more swing and miss. And they've talked with Dusty Blake about that. And that was a strategy coming into the season, but your pitchers are your pitchers and they have been built and they've been asked and they've done it intentionally year over year because of how good this defense in St. Louis has been historically to go ahead and pitch to that contact, to be in the zone, but be effective within the zone, be efficient, use your defense, all of these elements. And like for the first time in a little while, it's not to the Cardinals competitive advantage to do it that way because their defense has limitations placed upon it. Some are self-made, some are MLB rule change made. Some are just inexplicable that, they got to put Jordan Walker in the outfield because his bat needs to be in the lineup, and so he's got to go somewhere. But Nolan Gorman plays a lot of DH. Like all of these things are happening at once. New catcher is happening at once. New pitching coach as well is happening at once. New bench coach that replaced the bench coach who was here for like a day, and it did so in January. So not as much of a of a of a tailor made situation there either. Didn't exactly handpick that guy, although I think Joe McEwing is about as good as they could have hoped to have found in that situation with Matt Holliday taking the job and then saying no thanks. But if all of these aspects don't combine to point to, yeah, boy, the roster, man, they should have seen some of this coming, then you and I don't see this Cardinal situation the same way, which is okay if we see it differently. 
But I think a lot of times fans are just angsty and upset because the Cardinals are playing like garbage. And so as a Cardinals fan, you invest your time, your energy, and oftentimes your money in this product. And so you're very much in the right to feel the way that you feel about it. But I think the anger sometimes gets misplaced because you, you're you going to cater and, and, and stoop to kind of the the least common denominator and say, this is the thing that I'm going to be mad about because it's easy to be mad about the manager. It, it's been done in, in the history of sports for decades and decades and decades. And it, that's, you know, it's a really easy thing to be mad about. It's harder, in my opinion, as a fan to look at some of the nuance of it and go, yeah, man, the, the guy that's actually responsible for this is the guy that they're going to absolutely refuse to fire because that is a hard reality to level with. But I'm looking at John Moselec's roster and going, man, some of this could have been some of this could have been foreseen a little bit with all the things that were stacked against them. And maybe some of it wasn't fair to have expected them to have seen. Like the sheer volume of things that have changed or happened add the World Baseball Classic in. Should they have maybe for you know saw that coming a little more as a factor with a new catcher and a, a lot of rule changes? Perhaps so. Mo might tell you differently at this point that they wish they would have done it different. I don't know, though. I haven't seen him since April. But I'm just saying, like, I hope I've been able to articulate this in a way that y'all would go, okay, yeah, maybe there is more going on here than the manager. Even if complaining about the manager would be the easy thing, I'm a sensible fan, and I see that there's more going on here. And I don't gain anything from stumping for Ollie. I'm doing it because I think that that it's what's real. I think firing him would be very short-sighted. This is a team that made the decision to invest in him when they already had a pretty good manager in Mike Schilt. But they invest in Ollie because they believe for the long run that that's the right answer. It would be a mistake if, in fact, the reason the Cardinals are doing so poorly right now is because of the roster construction. And it's not to say that the players, all the players on the team are no good. That's not what that means. They don't fit together very effectively right now. And the couple of moves, maybe it's a handful of trades or different things that Mo could have done to maybe make it fit a little better. Even if that means in this deal, we might have to kind of take a little bit of a loss because we think this player is a little more valuable than that. But we need the type of player that we can get in this deal to make our roster flow a little bit more easily. And yes, that means maybe we're giving up this opportunity over here, but in the long run, it's going to be to our benefit. Like It's up to the lead executive of a baseball team to make those kinds of decisions and get them right. So it, it, it's easy for Mo to say in January, well, we frankly didn't cater or, or get very involved in those markets when it comes to starting pitching, and then go on the radio or, or say to different outlets over the past few weeks, well, we, we, we did go after a lot of starting pitching, but I'll tell you, all the guys we went after are either pitching badly or they're hurt, so it wouldn't have made any difference. You know, no, you don't get to have it that way. It's your job to find the ones that are worth going after and, and are going to make your team better. It's There's no, like, cop-out answer to that that I think Cardinals fans should find acceptable. I want to be fair, though, at the same time and say, maybe isn't realistic that they should have seen all of these different things coming. But when Cardinals fans in the offseason are clamoring for certain things and those things end up kind of coming to fruition, which, again, a lot of it was about the rotation. The rotation might end up being okay. And so that would be a spot where Mozilla could look at me and say, listen, you're you're harping on the rotation right now. That's not the issue. But there are other factors at play. And one of those things, I think, is the fact that you just didn't add enough pitching to the organization, quality pitching to where you lose one guy in your bullpen and right now, you're in a situation where everybody gets moved up a rung on the the ladder in terms of the hierarchy of leverage and, and things of that nature. And I just think this is a bullpen better suited if everybody like Stratton and Palante are slid down a little bit further. It's not a knock on Palante. doesn't mean he's not a major league pitcher. I think he is one. He didn't execute in the spot, and he's not going to make an excuse. He wants the ball. He wants that situation for sure. Chris Stratton is going to be the same way. And I do promise I'll go ahead and play the couple-minute clip where I, where I talked to Chris Stratton, just to give you somebody's perspective besides my own from tonight. But I want to say it in a way that doesn't diminish Chris Stratton because I think within the context of a bullpen, he can be a contributor. But I think you're asking a lot of a guy that last couple of years, we could just be honest about what Chris Stratton's role has been. It hasn't been, hey, eighth inning, game on the line, you've got to be able to get it done. He, just like everybody else, though, is human, wants to be able to come through for the team. And so that's why I... I didn't take the low-hanging fruit of going to send this tweet that's going to disparage a guy when that's totally not fair. No, I owe it to him. If I'm going to talk about him on a podcast, I'm going to talk to him in person and get a couple of questions and, and see, you know, 
the way he's seeing things right now. So we'll listen to that. We'll, we'll see what we think about it. We'll reflect on it, and then we'll get out of here hopefully under an hour. Sound good? All right, here's my conversation with Cardinals reliever Chris Stratton after the tough loss on Monday. It seemed like in your inning, the uh, bet against Bailey ended up being one that kind of wore on you with uh, the 11 pitches there. What does a long at bat where you can't seem to put a guy away and he keeps fouling off pitches, how does that impact you as a pitcher trying to attack? Yeah, I mean, you just got to keep competing in the zone. Um, it just seems like walks always come back to haunt you. So um, that's something I've been doing all year is just competing in the zone, and I don't want to give him anything there. You know, unfortunately, it goes for a double there. If, he's a, if it's a single, we can kind of live with it. But, um, you know, just, I mean, he fouled off some great pitches. Um, so at the end of the day, you, know, you just got to tip your cap sometimes when a guy can do that. And he gave this team a chance there. And, and not really a ton of hard contact that goes against you. And it just seems like with you guys lately, you mentioned how walks are detrimental there. And so it's kind of, a, seems like maybe a catch 22 where you know you don't want to put a guy on for free, but at the same time, does it feel like as a team you guys might just be kind of getting snake bit by some of that soft contact to where you're kind of darned if you do, darned if you don't? I think that's just baseball, you know. Um, you know, sometimes those guys are right to people and sometimes they don't. And, you know, unfortunately tonight, you know, you got Hanniger that hits the one down the line, goes right by Paul and ends up scoring a run. And then um, Crawford there, you know, just gets one through. and He uh, just goes right to the other side of him with Slater. So, um you know, maybe if you can go back and look, you got runner on second and Crawford up. I mean, I'm going for a punch out there, but, you know, maybe being a little more competitive even out of the zone, um, it, since it's 0-2, take some, some bigger chances on us and miss, maybe I could do that. But uh, at the end of the day, going back and looking at the film, I, I feel like I executed what I needed to do, and um, they just put some, some swings on it and gave themselves a chance. As you guys are going through kind of this lean time where it, it can seem like that, where you don't necessarily want to change a lot about the approach that you had, how difficult can that be as a ball club to kind of stick to what you guys know and believe is your process? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just it's baseball, and it's, it's such a long year. You know, it kind of seems like some stuff really hasn't gone our way here early, but um, you know, you just kind of have to play the probability and um, and keep competing. And like I said, if you compete in the zone, your chances are, you know, going to go in your favor more times than not. So, um, you know. I, you know, the big thing for me is that both of those counts were 0-2. So um, that's that's what really hurts for me is because, um, you know, that's that's pitcher's count. And we maybe we got to do a better job of trying to get some chase there um, from both of you know, me and Palante. But, um, yeah, I mean, overall, you just have to continue to attack and, uh, and trust in what you got. So there's my conversation with Cardinals reliever Chris Stratton from after the game. And you could go back and say, well... If I don't like the narrative and Cardinals fans don't like the narrative of considering the soft contact thing to be like a snake bitten team, why frame the question to him that way? But I really do think that that's an easy way to look at it if you're a player on the team. And I want to respect the guy's humanity as well. And so when I'm trying to get a, a perspective from him, and that's honestly what's going through my mind, it's like as a pitcher, how can you feel like you're not snake bit when you can compare what he did versus what Palante did? Palante a little bit too fine, ends up walking a guy and then gets into those two-strike counts thereafter but tries to not repeat that because, well, the last time I got too fine with two strikes, I walked a guy, so now I'm going to still try to be competitive within the zone and they end up hitting some pitches on me that that get through and, and end up leading to a run, whereas Stratton talks about the 11-pitch at bat, which that Bailey at bat, I really did feel like that was where things were going to start to turn against him because once he couldn't put him away and as you heard him mention, that ended up, being a double on a, a again a ball that was not hit particularly hard, but it was just hitting to the right spot to allow the guy to, to reach second base. He said it's a deal where we can live with that if it's a single, and then the bloop single that happens thereafter, we have a little more margin for error at the point to not end up giving up the game in that spot. But because it's a double, then the next bloop single ends up scoring a run, and suddenly you know it's happened very quickly on you. But that's why I wanted to ask it that way because I really do think it's kind of a catch twenty two situation where if you're a pitcher. And your stuff is not in a spot where you're just able to blow a guy away. He said, yeah, I'm going for the strikeout in that spot. That's the situation that, you know, the, the, the game situation called for that type of approach. But maybe I need to try to go outside the zone a little bit more, still stay competitive and see if we can't get some chase, some swing and miss versus the way we approach it where he says, you know, I go back and look and say that I, I felt like my approach was pretty good and they end up putting a couple of swings on it. Like, 
these are the things that I feel like the nuance that fans maybe don't want to hear sometimes because it's just easier to be mad and to look at the guy on the TV screen and go, that guy's a bum. You know, but I, I felt like Chris gave some good insight, uh, and I'm not entirely sure if everybody will will hear that and think of it the same way. Um, but I thought, too, he was honest by the end of it, too, where he said, well, the main thing was what hurts was the 0-2 counts. We get into two-strike counts, and, and both me and Palante had it happen at times in our outing. And, again, Palante's ends with a walk in one case. Stratton maybe just throwing too many strikes. Like he says, he wants to be competitive within the zone, but in that spot, you end up risking the potential for some soft contact beating you, and it has happened to the Cardinals a number of times. The one thing I'll say for Stratton's inning, it wasn't because of a walk that it ends up taking place. But like with Wainwright over the weekend, that's what happened to him. With Jordan Hicks over the weekend, that's what happened to him. In the game today, Palante, it happens to him. The walks that you give up, man, the free passes, they're going to come back to bite you, especially when you are a team that is built around this notion of we're going to pitch to some contact against these guys, and we know that our defense has our back behind us. You put fate to the test in those situations by walking guys as a team that's going to pitch to contact. Sometimes it's just as simple as that. And, like, we talked a lot about the pitching and those aspects of it, and I, th- I think that was central to the reason the Cardinals lost on Monday. But the offense thing remains constant day to day. And it was asked last night, I asked Tommy Edmond, I asked Ollie Marmel, I guess it was not last night, but Sunday afternoon. What's tangibly different about the at-bats that you guys are taking when it's not happening with runners in scoring position versus those 18-run games when it is? and Because there, there have been times for the team to get to a spot where they're top 5 or 10 in OPS with RISP and they're still 15th in MLB in batting average with runners in scoring position despite how bad it's been recently. Clearly, there have been some times where it's been working for them. And so those questions get asked and they – have basically said, well, in Ollie's case, he said, I don't see anything different about the approach. Cardinals fans feel like they're seeing something different in the approach because when you compare what the Cardinals did and what they do regularly to what the Giants did tonight, just being able to put the ball in play, not have to hit it over the fence, hit it in the right spot, situational hitting, all these things like, yeah, the Giants did put on a clinic. And the Cardinals, yes, I think could stand to approach it a little bit similarly to that at times. But you can take the example of Arenado's at bat where he comes up, I think it was in the eighth inning when it, when it was first and third, and he pops up to first base. There's one out, and so if you're Arenado and you're you're a slow runner, you know you don't want to put the ball on the ground because it's going to be a double play if you do. That's like the downside is, hey, a pop-out, at least there's an, another guy on our team that has a chance. You put the ball on the ground, and it's very likely that the inning is over. That's the way Arenado probably views it. So he's probably not thinking, oh, I just got to poke one through a hole somewhere strategically, I don't know if that would have been the right call for him to attempt to do it that way. No, you want to put the ball in the air, but you got to get it deep enough so that you can score a sacrifice fly. Like, that's what he should be doing in that spot or or drive the ball somewhere, obviously, but but get the ball in the air and do it with some authority. Instead, I feel like it's a team that's pressing, and you saw the at-bat from Arenado wasn't a quality A-B, in my opinion. It ends up popping out onto the infield, which we've seen a lot recently from this team. But, like, that's... That's the nuance. That's diving into exactly why something happened. And does it make it defensible? No. Does it make it okay that the Cardinals lost? No. I mean, they, they want to be a playoff team. They got to win more of these games, and they got to come through in those spots. Like Paul Goldschmidt took eight strikes tonight, I think, before he hit the home run off of Logan Webb on that slider. And I was just about to tweet, like, man, Goldie has taken a lot of pitches in the zone. But generally, he knows what he's doing more than I do because he was able to convert for a home run on – on that next strike that he saw. But then in the ninth inning, his first pitch swinging and, and chops one back to the pitcher. And I don't know, is a nice defensive play, but if it gets through beyond the pitcher, it still probably stays on the infield. And so it wasn't the contact that he was looking for in that spot, but it doesn't make Paul Goldschmidt a bum either. Like it's just the nuance matters. Trying to have a level head about these things right now is difficult. Like I said, I didn't even want to do a live stream because I knew that it was going to be, contentious and that people are upset and sometimes I'm like okay my mental health I've got I've got to not go back and forth with with everybody at once uh, on a night where I'm already kind of feeling worn down by the whole thing and I certainly don't mean that as a slight on any of you guys but you know how it is you know how it be sometimes in those live streams and they end up going multiple hours and this one's only going to be one hour and so I, I hopefully get to bed a little bit earlier as a result but 
I don't know. I think the nuance is important, but I think it can be a little bit exasperating at this point in time because there is no sign coming from this Cardinals team that it's suddenly about to click and turn around. And they've tried a lot of different things, to be honest with you, at this point in terms of like making the minor roster moves that you would make. They've done a lot of it. I don't know what there is left to do. You could make the Mason win thing and say, hey, give you give you some youth infusion and maybe that's a move that can help you. If, if you're going to play Tommy in center field, then you've got a spot at shortstop if Paul DeYoung continues to fall off but looked good tonight. So we'll see what that ends up being. I think the problem for many ways with this Cardinals team, though, is that it's it's very predictable right now what's happening and what's going to happen. And uh, they're losing these these tough games. I don't know what fixes it. I hope you guys are still enjoying listening to breakdowns of this team. Let me know what you want to see, what you want to hear from the YouTube channel, from uh, the Patreon, as I as I promised to get back around to doing some stuff on there. From the B-Shape Daily Podcast, let me know, at B-Shaper12 on Twitter. And please do comment on the YouTube channel, like this video, and subscribe to the channel for more Cardinals content all season long. I'm sure there are aspects that I would have liked to have gotten to tonight in this episode of the show that I just neglected because I, I very do, I very do, I very much do go stream of consciousness. And sometimes things, talking points might get missed as a result. But I feel like we covered a lot of ground here tonight. Let me know, though, at BJ for 12 on Twitter if you've got anything further for me to get into as we go along. And I'll try to keep making some notes of that. But thank you guys so much for joining me for this edition of the show. Appreciate you guys listening. Again, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. It really helps me out if you do so. And uh, that's going to do it. We'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.